One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What a great time to be an ally. What, what a great time to think, hmm, what don't I know about this, right? Yeah. What would we gain by being more inclusive, by having different types of people? Um, and one of the points of information that I think helps pivot people more into an activity mode where they can engage and start to fight these biases and these systems of oppression that you mentioned is really to think about how much are we mirroring who we want to do business with, right? Who do we want um, as our constituents? Who do we want to have relationships with? And if you're not mirroring that inside your organization, if you don't look like who you want to do business with or have a, as a constituent base or behave like or have experiences similar to you. And oftentimes at the top levels or even middle bands of organizations, we're just not simply doing a good job reflecting our customers, reflecting those that we want to be engaged with. And so if that's not the case, what an opportunity again to pivot forward as an ally and move more towards activity and think, hmm, what if we were more reflective, right? What if we were representing who we want to be partnering with, doing business with? How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Julie. And we talked about how to be an effective ally, how to make sure you're not being performative, how to make sure you're breaking down the systems and making sure that you're not a bystander. If we look around the world today, we can see that a lot of people, they know that they shouldn't be doing something. They know that something shouldn't be happening the way it is, but they sometimes can't find the language or the words to use to make sure that that doesn't stop. And as a result, they're paralyzed by either fear of, uh, you know, perception from others or fear of security or fear of maybe them losing something that's valuable to them. And that fear continues to paralyze them from doing what is the right thing structurally. And so we talk about that. We talk about Julie's career, also how moments from her childhood informed her career right now. Hope you enjoy the episode and I hope it inspires you to action. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads and today's guest is Julie Kratz. Now Julie is a highly acclaimed leadership trainer who has experienced leading teams and producing results in corporate America. After experiencing her own career pivot points, she developed a process for women leaders to build winning plans promoting gender equality in the workplace. And she's a frequent keynote speaker as well as executive coach. We're going to be talking about a lot of things today, ranging from active allyship to how to have difficult conversations. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. I think this is a good time for people to 
learn about each other, but also learn how to show up for the other person. And who better to talk to about that than you? Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. The pleasure is mine. Thank you for coming. And thank you for being on the show. So I use I, I always like to go back to the earliest memory of you know my guests and have them talk about how they figured out what they wanted to do and got to where they are today. So what was that like for you? Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked that. It's, it's, it is an insightful question to figure out your, your path to diversity and inclusion. And for me, allyship uh, started from a young age. But you know, you don't know that it's a thing, especially we didn't have the vocabulary back in you know, the 1980s when I was a kid right. growing up uh, in the suburbs, you know, that wasn't that diverse. And so I remember being age eight, about, I was third grade, I know that, and um, I had left my babysitter's house. My mom was a single mom growing up, so she picked me up, and I remember um, talking to her about um, a, well, it was kind of told as a joke, but I didn't think it was very funny, Uh, the old um, riddle about, uh, if you remember, the mom, uh, you know, there's a kid that gets hurt, and they go into a hospital and he's with his dad and the surgeon, you know, replies that I can't operate on my son. And there's this big conundrum of like, how could that be? You know, and it's basically to point out gender bias. Although, you know, when I was told that from another third, third grade old kid, it was kind of like, ha ha, you can't figure it out. There's no way a woman could be a surgeon. And I remember telling my mom that in the car, like, that is not funny. It's not right. Like, why would people say that? And so I think just early challenging gender stereotypes and norms. And, you know, that's clearly evolved in my work over, gosh, the last 30 years (laughs) since that moment. Um, But I was lucky that, you know, I think about my greatest ally, you know, when I talk about being there for somebody and really supporting them was my mother. And, um, you know, we didn't have much growing up. We had what we needed, but, you know, we didn't have a lot of disposable income for what we wanted. And I just remember, you know, when I went to college and she was so proud of, of me graduating with a business school degree, but she said, you know, I don't know why you're doing this, Julie. Like, why do you want to do business and work in corporate America? You, know, you really want to help women. And I thought, well, yeah, but like, who does that for a living? Right? So. <laughs> So sadly, um, she passed away shortly after that. And um, when I was pretty young, you know, pretty, pretty early in my career and corporate career. And so I lasted another 12 years. But those words, those words really kind of, I wouldn't say haunted me, but stuck with me. Of Your purpose is to do this. And, and that's really been my life's work and my life's calling and what fires me up um, in my own business now today. I'm fortunate that I get to do that work. But you know, for your listeners, that that calling, those early experiences, uh, whatever it is, um, is a real big signal on your passion and your purpose. You gotta you gotta pay attention to it, though. <laughs> you have to pay attention. It's definitely a signal. And having a strong mom who was someone that not only was a role model, but you know, played mom and dad to you, sounds like that played a big role into shaping you and mm-hmm. helping you see the world. Well, and it's it's a source of privilege. You know, I talk a lot about privilege in the workplace and helping people understand their own privileges. And the the P word is, I think is is just so negative. Um, it stings almost to think I have privilege, and I certainly have a ton of privilege now, um, just by my skin color and my socioeconomic privilege. Um, but you think about parents. If you had good parents growing up, um, and I had one really really good parent. My father was involved, but not much. And 
that was a huge source of privilege. I had somebody that believed in me, you know, somebody that, you know, when I stepped out of bounds, it wasn't like you were in trouble. It's like, this just isn't an okay way to behave, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And someone that expects big things from you. And when I spend time in in communities that are, you know, diverse and don't have access to resources and things, that's a huge gap. You know, kids that don't have parents to show them that way or, you know, parents that are trying their best but have three jobs or whatever the situation might be like, it's it's hard to break the cycle. It's hard to get out of the system if you don't, if you didn't have, a, you know, somebody early in your life, even not a parent, but somebody fills in that void. Um, because certainly I realize that's a huge source of privilege for me. And I, I, I deeply, deeply treasure the experiences I did have with my mom. No, no, I, I'm glad you brought up privilege. It's, it's something we've been exploring on the podcast with various guests. And I, I always say that, yes, it is definitely a trigger word for some people, but it is also possible to be privileged and, and oppressed simultaneously, right? It depends mm-hmm. on, on what it is. And, that, you know, depending on who you are and what access you have, there are various levels of privilege you mm-hmm. have. But I'm looking at the world now, right? We, we have interesting conversations about gender equality when we you know, when the things come up in the news, such as the pay gap, such as employment opportunities, such as expectations, gender roles, and things like that. What did the statistics say now? And how far do we have to go before we can actually achieve that parity? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's pretty sad. Um, from a gender equality perspective, uh, I like to think, you know, here in the United States, we're pretty competitive. We like to think we're the world leaders and everything. Uh, sadly, with something like gender equality, we're not even close um, and we're actually getting worse. So we're sliding in the World Economic Forum's latest report. We're 53rd as a country in the world. And, and you'd be astonished by the countries that are ahead of us and the stories that they have to showcase their successes. Um, so unfortunately, with that in mind, um, the United Nations, uh, the forecast is 208 years away from gender equality in the United States. And listeners, if, if you're interested in following a cool hashtag about this, that kind of um, makes it very playful and engaging, um, rather than like, whoa, that's a big problem and depressing, is uh, the hashtag equality can't wait. And there's some fun videos by famous people on it, um, really encouraging the awareness because, you know, I don't know about you, but everyone knows little people, whether they're you know, in your family, in your life, however they show up, you know, but kids anywhere on the gender spectrum, boys, girls, any, any, you know, identity, gender identity, it just isn't fair. <laughs> I mean, to think, yeah, yeah, you know, your, your grandkids or your great, great, I can't even do the math. It's sad. Um, so I, I often, I open up all my talks with that stat still so low awareness. And, and I think there's such apathy around this conversation. Oh, well, women are in the workforce. We had a woman leader once upon a time or, you know, whatever people have to use to justify it based on their own experiences. It's just not reality. Like we are so not there yet. Um, And there's a thousand reasons why. Um, But really it points to to bias. I mean, I I believe that is it's truly the barrier. And it's so hard because you can't see it. It's like privilege. You can't really see it until you unpack it. And people aren't always willing to dive into the the deep end on that that pool. <laughs> it 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 is it is something that people aren't willing to break into because a lot of times people don't even see it. You know, it's, it's not even something that someone would consider a problem. Unfortunately, it's because of the expectations that we've set up as uh, you know as systems. And mm-hmm. I'm looking at 
the world. I'm looking at what we see in movies. I'm seeing what we see in, in education institutions and what we see in workplaces. And the stories, thinking of what you said as you, as a joke that you heard about, you know, the expectation of a woman not being a doctor or a woman not being something. I find that those expectations that start very young, they do tend to become people's realities in terms of feeding their biases as they grow older because they're just taught not to see, I yep. guess, women uh, or sometimes, you know, sometimes people of color as equals. So, yeah, yeah for sure. Absolutely. I have a six-year-old daughter and it starts young. I mean, we know girls' confidence peaks at age eight. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard because at that same age, we teach boys uh, to stuff their emotions, you know, to not be vulnerable. Um, boys have to be boys, man up, that, that rhetoric. And so you, you got to kind of question how we socialize gender and, and why is this helpful? How, yeah. how are those perceptions helping us as a society? Cause we have a slew of data on the other end to show profitability numbers with gender equality, you know, 20 to 40% higher, you know, your point about racial diversity, ethnic diversity, you know, it just compounds from there. And so when you teach people, and this is funny too, not funny, um, another you know, thing that happens with young children, you ask them at age five to draw a picture of a leader and almost 100% of the time they will draw a white man. So, yeah. and that's happening today. So yeah. if you, if we think fast forward the world to their generation when they're in the workplace and it's going to be different, not if they're thinking that way, not if they're thinking that's what a leader. So unless I'm like that, I'm not a leader. Um, so we really have to fight these biases early. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Well, Let's stay on that topic of biases then. How can we figure it out to manage bias in the workplace? Oh, yeah. Well, and bias is funny because a lot of organizations start with unconscious bias training. <laughs> and you know this. Global companies have been doing this for a number of years. And I think that's, you know, I, I don't think that's a bad way to start the conversations with great intention. Um, but you're usually going in telling people, A, there's something wrong with you because you're biased, which, hey, hundred percent of people are, so that's okay. Uh, but also people usually kind of with one and done training or initiatives don't know what to do with the information. Um, it sits on a shelf somewhere and then it's not put to action. So to really combat bias in the workplace and no matter where you are, no matter how inclusive you are, no matter how global you are, it's there. It's there because our brains are wired, right? To create categories Based on those categories, we create assumptions. And based on those assumptions, the pathways in our brain just simply go on autopilot because our brain's saving energy for really tough stuff. So that means we make assumptions based on the way people look, based on the way they behave, based on what industry they've represented. So this is just part of neuroscience. But to, to really break it is to understand, okay, this is how my brain works, right? So my choice is actually to slow down that thinking a little bit rather than be on autopilot and just go through the motions every day. When I see something that's different, right? Choosing to be curious instead, choosing to intervene with the bias and slow it down and ask myself, how do I know that's true? Based on what information do I know? And simple biases that might show up that you might just want to challenge and slow down your thinking on. 
uh, this happens to women a lot, um, childbearing years. Even if you, know, you don't have children yet, you're kind of a ticking time bomb, <laughs> ready to have children at any moment and seen as a risk inside organizations. So oftentimes, it's called benevolent sexism. People will say things like, oh, well, she has young children. She doesn't want to travel or she doesn't want that promotion. She's got so much on her plate, you know, and just stopping that thinking and saying, how do you know that's true? Did you ask her that? <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure she knows she has small kids when she applied for this promotion. Let's ask her instead. Um, and for people of color, people with disabilities, people in the LGBTQ plus community, it, it gets even deeper. And there's other things that we might assume, right? We might assume uh, certain socioeconomic backgrounds based on race. We might assume um, that people might prefer certain things based on their sexual orientation. We might assume that we have to make accommodations for people with disabilities that you could be completely off base about. And so rather than assuming first, <laughs> challenge yourself to really go just one deeper level on curiosity and, and stop the bias, kind of hit a pause button, and ask yourself, how do I know that before acting in a way that's aligned with your bias? Yeah, that's so that's so great. I mean, we don't often question ourselves enough. We just accept some readily, <laughs> uh, I guess, standardized truths without investigating the reasons behind them. And one of the things I I say when I when I do, ironically enough, do my my unconscious bias training because I do agree with you. It, it, there's a way to do it. And if you, if you do it in, in an accusatory way, it's, it's very ineffective. But one of the things that I, I will ask in a training is how many people have investigated their thoughts and know why they think what they think? I just, just curious. Ooh, that's a good one. And a lot of times it's without fail. This happens almost every time because people, like I always say, we live in a very conditioned world as opposed to an intentional world, right? So we've been conditioned based on several things. It doesn't mean it's, say good or bad, but we're often told what to believe and we don't actually investigate that. But that makes its way into the workplace and you're hiring and you're firing and you're retaining and, and, and in how you collaborate. So it's, it's yeah, I think it's interesting what people uncover when they do that. And I've been in rooms where people would come by to me afterwards and say, I didn't realize that that's how I thought until you asked me that question. So it's interesting yeah. about life. Yeah. We don't even stop to think about what we think about sometimes. <laughs> Just so true. No, we don't. And hopefully now, I mean, one of the positives that maybe that we can glean from COVID-19 is maybe the ability to stop and process and maybe reflect on who we truly are and who we want to be as we show up in the world. So that's, yeah. that's what I'm hoping at least. Yeah, it, it has created a pause button for everyone yeah. around the world to think like, huh, you know, and if you weren't happy before, I can only imagine if you didn't like your job before, if you mm -hmm. weren't in a place where you were truly um, your full self, you know, in our diversity work, you know, people aren't bringing their full selves to work. It's, it's rare and sad rare. that Very people rare. have to cover and, you know, they don't feel valued or seen or heard. And that those are human, like very basic needs on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. People need those things. And if you can't bring that to work, I would think now more than ever, it's like, oh, maybe we need to hit the reset button a little bit. And I, I think more broadly, too, to organizations working on cultures. I mean, what a great time to pivot forward positively and reset and recalibrate now that we've had uh, this disruption 
um, out of disruption can come some great innovation. Yeah. No, no. Well, well, obviously that's the case for many workplaces. People not feeling like they can, they can bring their full selves to work. That also presents this idea of allyship and what is effective allyship. So if someone is able to recognize the privilege and understand that they can play a role in breaking down a system of oppression, how do they turn that allyship from performative into effective? Mm, yeah, I, it's a lot of times being an ally, the first step is information, right? So being curious to learn, um, being open uh, on the journey. And a lot of times what we just need to get from the apathy mode of this isn't happening, things are better than they were 20 years ago or whatever rhetoric you might have around the conversation, especially if you don't identify as somebody that considers themselves to be, air quotes here, diverse, because we know diverse goes way beyond race and gender, right? It's it's so okay. much more to the human experience than just the optics. Uh, but, you know, for the white guy in corporate America that, by the way, is in most leadership positions influencing <laughs> decisions, uh, what a great time to be an ally. What, what a great time to think, hmm, what don't I know about this, right? Yeah. What would we gain by being more inclusive, by having different types of people, um, and one of the points of information that I think helps pivot people more into an activity mode where they can engage and start to fight these biases and these systems of oppression that you mentioned is really to think about how much are we mirroring who we want to do business with, right? Who do we want um, as our constituents? Who do we want to have relationships with? And if you're not mirroring that inside your organization, if you don't look like who you want to do business with or have as a constituent base or behave like or have experiences similar to, and oftentimes at the top levels or even middle bands of organizations, we're just not simply doing a good job reflecting our customers, reflecting those that we want to be engaged with. And so if that's not the case, what an opportunity again to pivot forward as an ally and move more towards activity and think, hmm, what if we were more reflective, right? What if we were representing who we want to be partnering with, doing business with? And that activity, again, requires you to speak up and to use your voice. If you see something, feel something, hear something that doesn't seem right to you, question it. And it doesn't mean you have to be a mean person. It doesn't mean you have to, um, you know, call somebody out and shame them. It just means, hey, what did you mean when you said that, right? How do you know that's true, right? That intervening bias language or my favorite um, personal tool as, a, as an ally, one of my favorites, because it's so easy to do if you get in this mindset, is the flip it to test it model by Kristen Pressner. And it's just simply saying, you know, flip it, whether it was gender, race, you know, somebody um, with disability, whatever it is, just flip it and say, would you say this about that person if they were white? Would you say this about this person if they were a man? Would you say this about this person if they didn't have a disability? Whatever it is, flip it in the moment. And as an ally, especially as an ally, um, it, it, it signals like, whoa, maybe I shouldn't have said that, right? Maybe I. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Maybe I need to hit the restart button and intervene uh, before I say something like that in the future. And so you start to get this catalyst of, of behavior change that comes by speaking up, by amplifying other people making sure that everyone feels seen, heard, and truly, again, senses that feeling of belonging in the workplace. Because, you know, Teo, it's it's the microaggressions, it's the death by a thousand cuts, the small, little, se- seemingly subtle things that hold people in diverse groups back inside organizations. And so allies now more than ever, we need people to, to be the voice, help amplify this message. Um, because it comes a lo- across a lot better coming from the majority group because it's like, well, what do they have to gain from this, right? This isn't them using their fill in the blank card, which by the way, there is no card to describe your human experience, but <laughs> the, you, know, you can't, I, I hate that when people are like, oh, the woman card or the black card. It's like, this is not, this is part of who you are as a human being. You can't be used like a it's card. A card. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a card game. It's called life. <laughs> but the ally really doesn't have that card, right? So no one can say that. And people are more apt to listen. Like, oh, shoot, if James is taking it serious, I better do. Right? So it really models positive, inclusive behavior. You know, I, 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 and I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. A lot of allyship really involves knowing how to listen and knowing your role. I think a lot of times people think that with their good intentions, they have to do something uh, in front of, of people. And, and a lot of times it's confused for, Hey, look, I just learned this. I just read this book. I just did that. So look at me, look at me, look at me. And I think the best way to do it, you know, even based on what you're saying, this is you, obviously you listen, you, you follow your curiosity, but when you've started to notice things within your, yourself, it's, it's, you understand that people within your community are probably doing the same thing, but it's going to be a lot easier for people to hear that from you than it'd be from someone else. So how can you then continue to break down those perpetuated stereotypes knowing what you have? So you have a community of maybe a brother or a sister or a friend or uh, you know a, a colleague who looks like you or a college buddy who grew up in the same sort of way. You can start to correct that within your circles. But I don't want people to feel like they should be offended if maybe someone says, hey, just listen. That's what I want you to do. And then go, go go work in your community to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Because I have noticed that sometimes people feel like they are trying to help and they feel like they're being shut down, if that makes any sense, by, yeah. by, the, by the group that they're trying to work on, uh, work with rather. And, 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 and to that, I would say, well, what is it that you're trying to do? Are you trying to be the face of this or are <laughs> you trying to understand it? At least that's what I've noticed on my end. 
Yeah. So some of the vocabulary words that we've been talking about in, in this episode, you know, diversity, bias, privilege, they be triggering words. And so if you think about how quickly a conversation can get polarizing and people can get defensive and feel like their own character is being challenged, um, yeah. I think it's really important that we use inclusive words, right? Because people are so afraid of being called a racist, a sexist, a fill-in-the-blankist. No one wants to be that person, right? But they need to understand that doesn't mean your identity is such, but your behavior might need some modification to truly be inclusive. And I often share with people, especially the everyday person that may not relate to this conversation or may not see a why for this conversation, when you get to know people that are different than you and like really are just wildly curious about their experiences, you're, you become better as a person, right? To insulate yourself so with people just like you that you went to college with or you know, have similar experiences with your you know, community, whatever it is, you're not learning as much as you could from somebody from a different part of town, a different part of the world, uh, somebody that grew up very differently than you. Those are the richer, deeper human experiences that actually make you grow and get better. So when you have these conversations on the other side, it might feel challenging and difficult. That's why we don't have them. But remind yourself on the other side of this, like, wow, I've been given a gift of knowledge that I wouldn't have had had I not engaged in this dialogue. Yes, 100%. No, I, I love that you're talking about this. Do you have any examples? Because uh, I know you, you work with uh, a lot of, you know, organizations to ensure that there's gender equality. But I'm thinking about in this sense, there are ways to get men to be allies. So I don't know if you have any examples of ways that you've seen, you know, mm -hmm. engaging men to be allies of women, because I know this is often another thing that people would say, well, I don't know if I, I have a role that I don't want to be saying something and I don't want to get in trouble or certain things. I've heard so many interesting types of <laughs> answers, responses to that. And I have my own answers, but I'm curious to how you engage men as allies. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Well, on this, you know, Me Too, right, has been around now for three years officially, but we know it got started 20 some years ago. Um, it just has a hashtag now. <laughs> but right. now that it you know, really hit mainstream press and redefined gender roles and gender stereotypes and boundaries around healthy workplace relationships, what we're seeing is that men are afraid. 60% um, of men in the, the most recent lean-in study, 60% are uncomfortable working alone with women. And that's just not possible, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> if you told a woman, like, you can't work alone with a man, she'd be like, well, great, can't get my job done. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't have that choice. It's not, a, it's a luxury, right? That's a privilege that men have. Right. Like, well, I'm just going to work with the men then. Right. Women are too dangerous. Women are liabilities. Okay. So, right. Yes, there's a fear, but now more than ever, we need our allies. So if I have seen examples of times when organizations get this right, and specifically when they create a culture around allyship. And so I think in your organization, if you're not using terms like that. I think start and, you know, I have organizations that use the term friends or they have male ally groups or they have advocacy groups. It doesn't matter. Use whatever word you want. But essentially, it's getting men involved in the conversation around women and women's leadership or gender equality. You choose. But what you really need to do to cultivate that and, and model that behavior is to have a deep why for it. 
Um, and you don't have to look far for data to support this from Harvard Business Review, Boston Consulting Group, I mentioned Lean In, great organizations that publish data on this. But the biggest one, when you engagement as allies, your chances of success are 3x higher. You know, that's what BCG says. So for women leading women's initiatives inside companies alone, just women talking to women about quote unquote women's problems, you have like a 32% success rate. You engage men and it's nearly 100%. So I'm going to take my bet on that one, right? Uh, Which means if you want to engage allies, have a strong why for it, know why men need to be involved and then provide some boundaries, right? (laughs) Around healthy workplace behavior and what that looks like is Clearly, there's some uncertainty around that right now. Um, And just the do's and don'ts of allies. (laughs) I just break it down right from the get-go. An ally is not the same as a knight in shining armor, right? Ah, that savior, the savior complex. (laughs) This happens in race, the white savior, too. You know, it's just, oh, it's so frustrating. It's everywhere, yeah. Oh, it's so frustrating. Like, let me... Let me get this out of your way. Let me take care of this for you. <laughs> and men are actually socialized. Again, fairy tales. I mean, I grew up with Cinderella and Little Mermaid. <laughs> These are narratives that we learn as little people. And then you go to the workplace, like, not helpful. But men do this a lot. And they're like, nope, that's not what we need here. <laughs> right? Mm. And we also don't want to be fathered by men. And this used to happen to me all the time in my own corporate career. Well-intentioned, older, usually white guys would say things to me like, you remind me of your my daughter. Like, all right, we're at work here. Right? I am not your daughter. Please do not treat me like your daughter. But I get like it's coming from a good place. And he just didn't know how to relate to me. And that was the way he knew how to relate. Um, and it's, of course, not any you know sort of you know sexual relationship. I think that goes without saying. But you just got to make sure you know boundaries of touching. Don't touch people that don't want to be touched. You know, fourth grade, remember? Right. Um, so those are the don'ts, but on the do side, it's simple. And what I've learned in this ally curriculum development and this journey myself, and we're all on this journey, it's not a destination to being an ally, is it's simple, subtle things. It's simple acts of kindness, and they usually go back to core behaviors, vulnerability. I don't know what I don't know, right? I'm, I'm nervous about this. I'm scared, but I'm going to show up, right, and be the only man at the women's meeting, whatever it is. Empathy. I don't know what it's like to be a woman. I don't, we don't want you to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you just empathize and be like, huh, I, I don't know, but I'm going to try to perspective take and try on your perspective. So vulnerability and empathy, I always start there, but also curiosity. Listen, listen, just listen to learn. You don't have to have the answer. Don't, you don't have to save the day. Mm. Um, and, and, and be self-aware, right? I think self-awareness goes without saying, For any leadership advantage, you got to know like what you're good at and what you're not good at. So to show up as an ally and offer help and support, do it in a way that, you know, actually leverages your strengths. You know, don't try to be somebody you're not and just drop the ego. Like this isn't about you, right? But by the way, on the other side of this, by giving and supporting somebody different than you, you're probably going to get more out of the relationship than they are. feels really good to help people. I mean, if there's anything we've learned from COVID, right? Everyone's desperate to help other people. And I know I feel paralyzed being in my home, not being able to help and seeing these images on the news. It is a core human thing to want to help others. And I would extend that a little bit deeper as an ally, help somebody that's different than you. And again, not just race, gender, but like deeper, like they, 
have something that you don't have, you're going to learn from them. And again, on the other side of this, pivoting forward, you will be a better human as a result of that. That's the that's the goal. That's the ultimate goal to improve humanity. And I, you know, I know it sounds cliche, but that's that's the actual point of thing uh, of you know breaking down barriers of you know bias or making sure that allyship is effective. It's to ensure that our full spectrum, this full spectrum of our humanities, are being expressed. Because many people are, as you say, having to choose which side of their humanity they have to 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 choose to wear rather as opposed to just showing up as they are because it can be unsafe, limiting and just uh uncomfortable. So yeah. then you you know you find those type of situations. Okay. So I love that you you broke that down into do's and don'ts because I I, I, do, I do even me I mean I when I would talk about unconscious bias I would say because sometimes people make the assumption that you're diversity, uh, you know, professional. You probably have never had anybody. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I everybody. First of all, everybody has one. But even with the privilege, with, with the word privilege, I would say I would often say, look, I have privileges in male. Like I can run down the street, and I said this in previous episodes. I can run down the street usually when we could run um, here in New York, at, you know, past 9 p.m. without worrying about being arrested. Right? That doesn't erase the the you know the the uh oppression oppressive behavior i sometimes feel in the airport due to my passport or or you know what, what i'm tra what i'm traveling or where i'm in different areas right it's it's happening at the same time but at that moment like you're saying it's about listening paying attention making sure that you are trying to stop the behavior within people that you can have for me will be other men, right? My brothers, my friends, my family, my audience, and making sure that I have taken what I, I've learned from that and, and passing it on. But I, I wouldn't go to a woman and say, well, let me just tell you what I read in this book. You women, ha ha ha. You know, <laughs> that, that, that would just be very condescending. <laughs> And so it's the same sort of thing that I always like to say. So with that, so yeah. And right. people are capable of change. I mean, I always warn against going after the the tough cookie, the person that really doesn't get it. Like yeah. if you really want to help somebody, you might be better served going after somebody that, hey, they probably want to get it. They just don't know what they don't know, right? And right. you can help them, like start small. <laughs> Not that we don't want to have brave conversations, but, you know, for example, yeah. when I talk to my in-laws, they just grew up and in such a different time. The things they say from a racial perspective, like that is far off the mark, right? Yeah. Well-intentioned, they just don't know what they don't know. Um, and, but I will say, you know, I've had so many experiences with people and once they get the information, they want to do something with it. They just needed some education on it. They just needed some awareness and they weren't going to pick up the book and read it themselves or, you know, listen to this podcast or another podcast. Like they needed somebody to spoon feed it to them a little bit. And once they do, you know, it's like dripping the faucet. Then they're like full blown <laughs> turning the faucet on. Yeah, and that's sure. fun. You know, I had my best friend growing up, my childhood best friend, you know, a few years ago, we were really um, political differences, big differences about things like diversity. And you know, we had some really hard conversations. And you know, a few years later now to ha talk with her, it is like night and day because she's done the hard work. She's watched documentaries. She's read books. She's listened to podcasts. She's followed my work. And now she's totally well versed in the subject. You know, no, no one's perfect, right? It's a journey, not a destination. It's a but journey. Yeah. people are capable. Most people are capable of positive change. We just got to meet them where they're at. That's right. That's right. That's right. And and it's um, 
like you said, it, the, the stress in the part that it's a journey, not a destination, is the most important thing. It's we can't expect this thing to change tomorrow, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be consistent because I think people get frustrated when they don't see that immediate change or they come across a tough cookie, as you described. <laughs> and then it's it's like, oh, I tried and I don't want to get this. And, you know, I don't want to be the that guy. That's what I always hear from, from a lot of men or mm-hmm. people that are not that are not men, but are trying to approach other people with different privileges or, or, or you know, different marginalized groups. They're like, well, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that you know that that person that's that everybody's talking about or the person always bringing it up and i was like well if you're not that person who's going to show up uh-huh. right well and the question so. i asked too right that's a great question is say okay so you're okay with that behavior continuing okay. right and right. Uh, yeah and the other thing <laughs> the other thing i say is that what well, do you know that you're exhibiting privilege right now right that's the, the you have a privilege to check out basically yeah. this is something that someone else doesn't have a choice to do you're just saying oh i see the problem but I'm just choosing not to acknowledge it. And I'm going to go about and live, in, live my life the way I normally do. And so I, uh-huh. that's something I would say. That. Yeah. yeah, that's been a huge part of my ally journey is recognizing that privilege, right? Especially around race, um, identifying as white. You know, I talk to my friends of color and they have to talk to their kids about race from a young age. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have to do that, right? Why would I? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. But like that was kind of my thought process early on. And right. Now, when I sit down and talk about Martin Luther King and you know Black History Month and stuff, my daughter asks some really hard questions like, oh, boy. <laughs> so I'll text him, like, okay, this is why white people don't talk about this stuff because it's scary <laughs> and it's hard. <laughs> but that's my privilege, right? I don't have to talk about it, but they do. And that's just not fair. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, I love, I love your work, right? So an audience listening, you know, Julie – does this across all sections she does the hard work and she meets people where they are but she does this in workplaces but she's also you know researcher and a writer and i I don't want to leave this interview without giving you the opportunity to talk about your book and and other things you're up to so people can find ways to connect with you yeah please thank you um so I work really hard. I've been working really hard on updating my website with tons of free tools. So please, please check out. Um, we have some video series on the five questions to ask to get the gender equality and diversity and inclusion conversation started at your organization. So check that out. Um, the website is nextpivotpoint.com. Okay. Um, we do have three books. So if you're thinking about a pivot point in your career, there's a great do-it-yourself guide. My first book, Pivot Point. Um, I have a book about male allies called One, and my latest work is Lead Like an Ally, How to Create an Inclusive Leadership Culture. Um, And I'm proud of this one because it's a fable um, told through my daughter's eyes and uh, a world I hope she doesn't live in, (laughs) but it's um, an entertaining story, and I think now more than ever, (laughs) kind of need something that's a little uh, easier to swallow. Um, And we learn a lot through seeing a story and there's a manager toolkit in each chapter to actually practice what you learned from the story and apply it to your workplace. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, I'll make sure I put the links to that, to those three books rather in your show notes. And I love fables that I actually have an acronym that I use fable for. Fables are one of my, my favorite things in the world. So it's uh yeah, this is good. This is good. So you're doing the work. You're expressing it, but you're also giving people opportunities to be self-aware and you have this practical way of talking and showing up in your in your, in your books with examples, but also with 
prompts that people can take on every day. And uh, I think that's that's the best part of, of what you're doing, because you can definitely see people go from, you know, uh, you know, I guess I don't ignorance is not the word before. I guess ignorance is, is the word, but from confusion and, you know, figuring out what the world is to saying, hey, this is how I can structure my own effective allyship here. And this is how I can appreciate the journey. So I just want to thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. I, it's so nice to talk to a fellow um, expert leading the way in this space, and uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation. The pleasure's mine. You you made it you made it so easy. I mean, this this was this was you you know doing what you do. So I, I really enjoyed you know hearing you talk about uh, how you how your journey got you here and how you're still in many ways you know answering the call that you uh, you felt like you needed to answer when you were a little girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> Yeah, no, nah, that, that that's uh, that's one of my favorite things when you an- you answer to your inner child, and I think many of us sometimes forget about that. So, uh, thank you for for reminding us of that. Last question though that I have is is, is my mission statement framed as a question. So, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Oh yeah, yeah. I think for me, um, like I said, back to that young girl story, just constantly being on this learning journey. Um, of curiosity. So knowing I have some differences, right? And in my corporate career, 12 years that I I like to say I served in corporate America, um, I just never saw myself reflected in the organization. So I always did feel different. Um, And and a lot of times it was just male dominated spaces and industries that I was the only woman, you know, at the table or just oftentimes the only woman leader. And it was lonely. Um, and so reflecting on those times when I felt different and didn't bring my full self to work right. is really leveraging that pivoting forward, leveraging those differences and that empathy towards others that experience that in the workplace. Because we know um, that far too often people aren't bringing their full selves to work. And so if I can be a voice of advocacy for that, provide tools for people to learn how um, to minimize that and to to have more inclusive workplaces. I mean, that is honestly um, my goal in, in life is really, really to drive home that message and, and to help people and just think those 208 years, right? We, we got to do better than that. So if I get to be a small, small voice in, in lowering the 208 years, uh, that's success to me. Well, I love that. Thank you so much for using your difference to make a difference. And I really want to thank you for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The pleasure is mine. Ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.